talking about video games. Yeah! This is the Namek vs. Same podcast. This is episode 5. We're halfway to 10. We're one one hundredth of a way to 500. This week was E3, one of the biggest weeks in gaming. I was lucky enough to go there. Joining me, as always, is my uh, friend and co-host, Edmund Arnold. Edmund, how are you doing? I'm still trying to do the math in my head. Uh, carry the two three four i'm doing well man uh am i doing well no i'm not doing well oh we were so close i'm doing fine so much grudge so much grudge in your voice what's what's wrong what's eating at you e3 is eating at me man yeah e3 is eating at me it is it is stings a little bit is it stinging because it's over or are you stinging because of what was announced at e3 it's stinging because i feel like i didn't get enough i didn't get enough at all and it's over too soon because I want to see more games. But I want to hear from your perspective because I am watching from television screens and computer monitors. So I really want to hear it from someone who was there. So please tell the audience, how does it feel to break your E3 cherry? It was painful. It's funny for me to hear you say you wanted more because let me tell you, if you were there, I wanted so much less. My feet hurt. I walked... This is not exaggeration for radio. I walked 22 miles in the last 48 hours on that conference floor, back and forth and back and forth, just seeing everything that they had. Let me tell you, it is a staggering experience when you walk in there. It is, not only is it a lot of people, but it is also, (laughs) it is tight corridors. It is like serpentine, weird like cues that you go through. It is, it is a lot of walking. Um, What really got me about it was the spectacle of it. You know, I expected some cool designs. I didn't expect every single place that I went was just these grandiose, absolutely ridiculous uh, boots that they had built. I saw giant dragons. I saw a waterfall. There was a well, ball pit. Break it, break it down for someone who wasn't who didn't go there. How how was each booth? I just I can't imagine how it looks. I see pictures, and I just I like did Activision have a booth, and mm-hmm. was it set up in a specific way? Then you went over and saw Sony, and they had a booth. Like what what were some things that you saw specifically? The best way for me to describe it is you walk into a gigantic conference hall, and as soon as so when you're on the outskirts of it, you can kind of see how things are set up. As soon as you walk down the corridors created by these booths, you you might as well be in a city. You feel like you're in a bazaar. That's how it felt like to me. Really? There's wow. noise everywhere and people selling stuff and people excited about seeing different things. Everywhere you look is a different person being interviewed or talking on a camera or playing a new game. The gaming rigs themselves are amazing in a way that it's almost deceitful to how the game experience will actually be. Unless right, you happen right. to own a Forza car that you can sit in that moves when you turn the wheel and has actual pedals. <laughs> is that how you play Forza at your house? I don't. Uh, yes, I have a steering wheel. Oh, no, 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 no. You mean the actual Forza uh, vehicle? No, I do not play that way. Sorry. Oh. I was mistaken. Well, then you would have been out of your depth because that was uh, maybe uh, – I had a lot of great experiences. As far as playing a game, that was one of the most fun for me only because of how real it feels when you're sitting in there and it's vibrating and you're turning left and turning right and the rig is moving with you. It's pretty cool. Other it's like a cruising USA type situation? Oh, my God. Thank you for that throwback. Anyway, yeah, you walk in, and it's just, even before you get into the conference, you could have gone and just walked around the lobby, to be honest with you. There's so many cool things. There's this big um, green screen where they're doing, like, a photo shoot uh, where you can be, like, a part of, like, a Sonic game. I took a photo with this gigantic, it was a Donkey Kong Rabbid, uh, the Ubisoft Rabbit, Rabbids, the Rabbit Rabbids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a Donkey Kong one of those because they announced a crossover with Rabbids and uh, Nintendo with Mario. And you could, like, pose in it, and it's getting, like, it's smashing you. You can see it on my Instagram. Uh, There's that. And then you walk in, and it's just, each booth has its own character. Um, And it's kind of in line with what the studio itself is. So Activision is very much like, it's the cool kids, you know? It's all, like, sleek blacks and wood, and it looks like like an upscale, like, nightclub is what Activision's looked like. Then you walk over, and uh, the smaller ones, like Yakuza 6, is like you're walking down a street in Japan, like a seedy street in Japan. Oh, with, oh it yes. was great. With these that neon awesome. lights, and you're walking on a carpet that's done up like a, like a rain-slick uh, sidewalk. 
and they have characters walking around. I mean, it's it's really cool. Each one was done up in a different way to try and attract that type of audience to it. It's a video game wonderland. It was a video game wonderland. I felt like Alice, and I was wearing wow. a blue dress, so it worked out. Well, it felt like a video game hell from where I was watching it. So I'm glad to hear your experience. We've got a tale of two E3s right now. Night and day, ladies and gentlemen. Night and day. Namek vs. Saiyan right here. That's right. This is Our title's all about conflict. There's so much anger. Yeah, just a lot of anger from me today. Mm. So what was the favorite thing you saw? What was your favorite thing? Are we talking games or are we talking spectacle that I saw? Because let's I... talk spectacle first. Because okay. we can get in, we're going to get into the games. I'm just, I want to hear sheer spectacle right now. I'm going to say spectacle has to go to Shadow of Mordor without any question. Shadow of Mordor literally built a 50-foot dragon that you could sit on and ride and take your picture with. And that was only part, that was part of what drew you to their booth. The other part was basically this entire castle wall that they built on a facade surrounding it. And they also had clear, like, glass where you could see people playing the game. There, I don't know if these people were sanctioned, but there were people dressed like Aragorn and, like, orcs walking around. There's a lot of people in costume. But, I don't know, Shadow of Mordor was just an overwhelmingly well-produced, gigantic booth. Even compared to the other booths, which were amazing. And the very close second, I would have to say, is Super Mario Odyssey, which literally built a town and then hired actors to dress up in, like, His Girl Friday-type outfits, wearing the fedoras and the trench coats, and they would take pictures with you. It was great. Wow. Okay. Also, they had a big hot air balloon, and Mario was just hanging off of it. Like, hey, it's a me! <laughs> so it's, it sounds... Like they stepped it up from previous years because previous years it sounds like E3 was like on its way out, a barren wasteland. It seems, yeah, and it seems to me a, a reason for that might be, and this is me talking to the people who were there. Again, this is my first time on the floor of E3, so I don't know how much it's changed, but apparently it has changed hearing it from somebody. Today I spoke to a guy from Ubisoft who's been going to it since it was in Georgia when it first started in like 1995. Wow. Uh, and he was talking about how much it's, how far it's come since then, how close it's getting to Comic-Con in terms of scale and spectacle. Uh, this was the first year that it was open to the public in a real sense. I think in the past you could buy like a $500 ticket. But this year it was very much open to the public. And I think they upped the spectacle because of that. Uh, because anyone, Mom and Joe, could walk into this thing and be blown away by it. And I got to tell you, I mean, it, it was overwhelmingly fan-driven when you were there. It is a lot of fans. And it's valuable for the people who are making the games because they're getting direct feedback from the people who are going to buy them other than people like me who just show up, play it for free, and then like, later. That's a very good point. That's a very good point because this was the first year that it was open for the public and the previous year that it was just open for press. Right. Um, so Those yes, gross it's, it's very, press people. Yeah, the gross, gross press people that don't put in valuable input because they never play these games. Well, you know, the gaming sites do, the gaming reporters do, but a lot of these Hollywood reporter type reporters that show up like patrick shanley who never played these games yeah um, but either anyway yeah it's really nice to see that they opened it up to the public and I, I feel like you're right that's why they sipped it up i think there were people complaining about it and it's mostly the people that have been going for years and when it used to just be press but for me i kind of liked watching the people uh enjoy it i like watching people who are real fans i saw more men in basketball shorts than i think i've ever seen in my entire life but they were all having a really good time so and that's a stereotype but, yeah, that's nice. I'm not insulting anybody's fashion choices. I wore a Star Wars short shirt, and then I wore a uh, donut shirt today. So I have no right to talk to anybody about what they decide to wear in public. Well, what are you playing in video games if you're not playing in your basketball shorts? I mean, as soon as I get home, I take off the pants, put on a nice pair of basketball shorts, and I get right into my PlayStation 4. Well, see, we're different. I like to dress like whatever character I'm playing. Uh, so I'll wear basketball shorts when I'm reigning threes to Steph Curry in NBA 2K7. Uh, 17, what year is it? You probably would be playing NBA 2K7, given your catalog. You'd probably be playing NBA 2K7 right uh, now. Well, NBA 2K7 was on the Dreamcast, so you bet your buns I'd be playing it. Another great game. Oh, man. Another great game. This Dreamcast, this is, should be called the Dreamcast Appreciation Podcast. It should be. We should change the name to that. I'm going to. I've already decided. Yeah. From now on. Sorry, iTunes. <laughs> I think that's why I was so disappointed with E3 this year, because there are no Dreamcast reveals. I was like, where are the Dreamcast reveals? It's weird that they don't revive more tech. They revive enough games from old systems. You'd think it, it wouldn't even be that far off. In fact, Nintendo, they did. They had the Pocket NES, remember that? And they, they oversold it. They sold too many of them. They had to shut it down because they didn't produce enough. Yeah, because that's what Nintendo does. Maybe that's what people do. We're just so obsessed with nostalgia right now. 
The worst things are, in your current era, the more you want to relive other eras. Even when it's an era that you weren't alive for. I wasn't alive when the NES came out. You weren't alive when the NES came out. I think that's a white thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to go back and I don't, there's no era that I want to go back to. So I think that's a white privilege type. We touched on it last time because it was just when the showcase had happened. So they announced their Xbox One X, which we uh, were not super kind to, and I still kind of hold to a lot of those feelings about it. Um, it it's just a souped-up Xbox. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. But Xbox... Here's the thing. A lot of the games that I played were not exclusives uh, to any system, really. Uh, I guess I played a couple exclusive PlayStation games. There weren't a lot of exclusive Xbox games, despite the exclusive guy who said it a thousand times. Um, Most of the ones that I played were cross-platform games, and they were great, even though I played them on an Xbox and on a PlayStation. Uh, They worked great on both systems. But it didn't really seem to me... Xbox had a big booth, obviously. Uh, They're right in the middle of the thing. But there wasn't as much buzz around Xbox, especially considering they were the ones who announced a new system. It wasn't like Xbox was the talk of this convention. Who was the talk of the convention? Honestly, I would have to give it to Mario. It's just, it was so much Mario. Everyone's walking around in these red hats. And it's the most bizarre trailer I've ever seen in my life. It starts off with a dinosaur, and then you're in the middle of, like, jazz-era New York. Like, what is happening? Can we we talk about Super Mario Odyssey real quick? Yes, please. Um, Because from my standpoint, that was the game of E3, and I believe a lot of people are going to say that coming out of E3. I don't think anyone can argue against that, at least from what I saw on the floor. Mario dominated E3. Mario dominated from the gameplay aspects that I've seen, mm-hmm. throwing hats on different characters. The to co-op in, today? I, the co-op, was. I just saw that. I just mm-hmm. saw that that was released. I haven't seen any gameplay footage of it. I'm excited to see what that looks like. Right. Just That is what I like to see from Nintendo. Innovative, new types of gameplay, taking their old... The old types of mechanics that they're used that they've mastered pretty much and invented and a, a twist lot of on cases. it that makes it feel so new. It's, right. I, I mean, I my most anticipated game of 2017. I, I'd have to give it to you. Uh, today was the first time I've played a Switch. I've never played a Switch before, so today I got to get my hands on the controller, which is a lot smaller than the other controllers. Or I grew uh, walking from one side of the hall to the other side of the hall. I got to play. Were you, it, were you playing it in its stock mode, or were you playing it as a handheld? I I think I was playing it as a no 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 sorry in stock mode like the on a on a television screen not as a handheld screen. So I got to play it play Switch for the first time. What I got to play today, I didn't get to play Super Mario Odyssey because the lines were insane, and even the lofty members of the Hollywood Reporter could not cut the lines for Nintendo. So what does that say about them? They're pretty great. Mm-hmm. I got to play the other Mario game, which I wanted to make fun of, honestly, and I couldn't because it's the it was so much fun and it's so cool and so different than any other game that was out there with either of these two franchises attached. I got to play Mario plus Rabbids XCOM. <laughs> it might as well be called XCOM. <laughs> the actual name of the game, I'm not a huge fan of. It's just like it's so convoluted. Like Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle just seems like it seems like there's a translation error. When they came yeah, out I love the that. I love that. Uh, you know what? I don't even care because it is the most charming, cutest, most colorful, and in a lot of ways super innovative games that I got to play at E3. It was awesome. It was one of those ones my trial ended, and I was like, I want to keep going. That, that makes me excited because I saw that trailer, and I said I really want to get my hands on that game. It's so cool. I was asking to do things uh, that I was like upset with um, that I couldn't do when I was playing it. And they're like, oh, you just haven't unlocked that ability yet. And it's like they knew already, like the questions that people would have immediately were just like addressed by the guy who was showing me the demo. And it's so much fun. And it's like fun is the is the best word I can pick for it because the visuals were fun. It was funny. The characters are charming. Mario fits right in with the Rabbids. And they also make fun of the Mario franchise a lot in it. <laughs> it's great. They're making fun of Princess Peach. They have Luigi where they're making fun of Luigi the way everybody likes fun of Luigi. There's a scene in it. But when Luigi makes his first appearance, uh, the little robot rabbit that you're with can't remember his name, and he calls him Lewin or Lewis, and everyone laughs at Luigi. Why does everyone always just pick on Luigi? What did Luigi ever do? He's a little brother. That's just the life of a little brother. Anyway, I loved, loved, loved Mario. uh, Is it Mario and Rabbids or Mario plus Rabbids? Mario plus Rabbids. Mario plus Rabbids. Kingdom Battle. It was great. I like the Rabbit Peach. Oh, she's so great. She's snapping selfies the whole time. 
They <laughs> they do so much stuff with the two franchises to just mush them together, and it's. I wanted to laugh at it, like I said when it was announced. I was like, this is so dumb and like such an easy cash grab, and it's not. It is awesome, and they really did something innovative. The gameplay is so strangely fitting for Mario. It, it reminded me of Super Mario RPG in a weird way, mixed with Final Fantasy Tactics, which is like the highest praise I could give to any game because I love both of those games. XCOM. Yeah, I saw a lot of people compare it to XCOM. Oh, yeah, it's exactly like XCOM. With XCOM. Yeah, but you still have the Mario pipe action and the same familiar characters. Uh, it was it was great. I'm excited. I'm, Mario won the convention, I feel like. I feel like Nintendo just showed up and just wrecked town. Did they? Did they? Compared to, I, I don't think the competition was stiff. Yeah, true. But I still think... yeah, non-existent, son. There was no competition. <laughs> Regardless, they still made an, uh, a footprint, for sure. Yeah, true. Super Mario Odyssey would make that type of footprint. But when you have, compared to Sony's lackluster showing, yeah. I mean, anything anything would have looked good. I mean, Microsoft looked look good. They just so. kind of seemed like afterthoughts. Uh, there wasn't a lot of buzz around them. There were buzz around titles, but the titles that there was buzz around were triple A, uh, non-exclusive titles. Well, you couldn't. You probably couldn't play any of the big games that were announced. I played did you a play couple. Metro but... Exodus was that available to play? Uh, no, no, I did not. See, so why would you go to the Microsoft booth? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, the ones I played again, they were non-exclusives that are across like all platforms. So, and they they were fun. I mean, I I got to play Destiny two. Uh, I was not super kind to the first Destiny, but Destiny Two was awesome. You know, I played it already, but this was uh, a bit more, bit more in depth of what I got to do. And it was tight gameplay, and it was really fun. And it was again like it ended, and I wanted to do another match. Uh, Call of Duty, which you know is not your favorite, and is sort of like the frat boy game, bruh. Yeah, um, it's still it's fun. You know, like when you're with a group of people, when you're playing a 16 on 16 match or 8 on 8 match whatever it is it's fun and it's just a whole bunch of craziness and you're throwing grenades and all that stuff but it's nothing innovative did you get some free Rockstar while you were playing it bro? no I was mainlining Rockstar pretty much the entire E3 oh it's so sick it's totally sick totally they gave you a uh, uh, a visor that you had to flip upside down and then they frosted your tips and a polo that sounds like Call of Duty yeah pretty much oh you have to do a keg stand too sophisticated Call of Duty because it's Call of Duty World War 2 it's so funny because um, he's going to come up later in the podcast. I got to sit down with the head of Sledgehammer Games who uh, created this Call of Duty, uh, Glenn Schofield. I got to speak with him. It was funny. I actually met him right before I interviewed him, and I had no idea. I was uh, eating lunch at the Activision, their little press area up top. And I sat down because there's only like one open table, and a group of guys sat down with me. And so they leave. And I realized that their their passes had said Activision on it, so I assumed they worked for Activision. I come to realize that it was the three lead designers of the game and the CEO of the company that makes the game. Uh, as I go into interview, he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Did you tell them congratulations on making the three best Call of Duty <laughs> games in the mediocre franchise? I thought they did. I like Modern Warfare quite a bit. Uh, Modern Warfare 3 is one of the best first-person shooters of all time. Yeah, it's great. I mean, Call of Duty gets hate for valid reasons but it also is a pretty tight first person shooter in a lot of their uh entries and i think sledgehammer games is responsible for the best of the best yeah sledgehammer games brings brings it they bring it this game is i mean it's call of duty like you already know it before you pick it up that being said it was pretty badass like (laughs) you feel that game it's like when you get hit you feel it I, I think I might pick this one up. I pick one up every time Sledgehammer does it. I like Advanced Warfare as well. So yeah. I think the way they space out their games is approachable to me. So, yeah, when I saw the gameplay, I was blown away. The love that he poured into that game um, just from the short conversation that I had from him. I mean, they did not cut corners. They had a, a world-class historian on staff, the guy who used to curate the uh, World War II uh, National Museum. They had him on staff. He's on retainer. Uh, and then they also, he did research into his own family, found out that his uh, grandfather had served over there. They were unearthing stories that had never been told from World War II. Just from a historical standpoint, it's interesting. It remains to be seen how much of that will come through in the game and whether or not the average Call of Duty player even cares about historical accuracy to that point. But it is, it's neat and it's nice to see that they put in the time into a title that would have sold regardless of if they did it or not. You really have to appreciate that. You do, and I do. You have to appreciate that.
interview with Sledgehammer Games CEO Glenn Schofield. Sledgehammer is responsible for the upcoming Call of Duty World War II. I recorded this uh, conversation with Glenn shortly after I watched a theater presentation for the new game and right before I got my hands on the never-before-played gameplay demo at E3. Here's what he had to say. Okay, uh, I just got to watch the, uh, the theater experience, which right. is quite a visceral thing <laughs> to uh, engage in. Uh, this is ten years since it's been in World War II? Just about. Which is kind of what launched the franchise. Why, why now to move back? Um, you know, it's kind of funny because it, it feels like we uh, we tap into the, the, the sort of the conscious mind out there as well, right? With the, the what, what's going on in the culture, and we were all when we finished uh, Advanced Warfare, we wanted we wanted something new, and uh, although we loved Advanced Warfare, um, you know, our first game was Modern Warfare, the next one is Advanced Warfare. We wanted to do something in the past. And World War II just it felt like with 10 years was the right time. Right. Uh, with something like this, uh, as opposed to the last ones that have been in the future, or using like tweaks on modern tech, I guess, now we're going back to things that existed in the past. How do you keep that fresh, especially for a series that's already been there so many times? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things for me, you know, being like Glenn was saying at Sledgehammer, one of the things I think as, as a development team at Sledgehammer that gives us, I think, a pretty unique position for that. If you think in 2009 when we founded Sledgehammer and we started, and we, we had an opportunity to make Modern Warfare 3, which was a modern setting, setting game, and then we went to Advanced Warfare, which is future, and now to World War II. So I think we've gotten this kind of really great palette. So as a developer, that's been great because we've been able to explore all of these things. And I think with World War II, specifically to kind of your question, I think initially I think there was some, oh man, is this going to be limiting? Is this going to... Yeah, we thought so. And, but with our, with the research and, you know, especially, you know, Glenn will send emails at, you know, three in the morning and some rare website about, you know, he's on several watch lists probably for this, right. I'm sure. But, <laughs> like, we just started finding out that, holy crap, like, this stuff is way more depth. Than, than you might think initially, right? Much more than we ever thought. Yeah, yeah. So we've really been able to tap into that, and, you know, with our military historians to help us along the way as well to make sure we didn't, you know, that we didn't find some some wacky, you know, fake news somewhere or something. Right. But it's crazy. Like we're excited about that stuff, and also just how it feels. And, yeah. Even the sound. I mean, yeah. I mean, just the difference between uh, AW's guns and, uh, and and ours today. Just our. We thought we were the we were the shit in the last game, right? But it's uh, sorry about that. Um, the, uh, the the sound has really helped. Plus, just the classic guns. Oh, yeah. You know, so they you know they know the sound, the bolt action, or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's such a big part of it too. Do you have to do you go out in the field with these actual antique guns to try and record that sound and make yeah. it? Everything we have really? planes fly over us. Um, we'll go uh, shoot off tanks, and these guys will go get howitzers. And they were telling me a story not too long ago. They were out in uh, out in the desert where they were firing, and uh, one of the guys was holding his iPad, <laughs> and they, it went off in a ditch. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, a really powerful and loud. That right, um, Don't get these events shut down now, because we with these stories, like we might not be doing this in the future. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's true. Sorry. No more iPads. No, it's fine. Uh, is it hard to track this type of stuff down, especially as we get farther and farther away from World War II? I imagine that these things start to slip into wherever they're going. Or are they kind of... You mean the information? Uh, not. I guess the information's part of it too, yeah. but also the actual artifacts themselves. Oh, you know, um, what we found, what I, what I found was that uh, uh, in the last 10, 20 years since uh, Private Ryan and a few of the other movies come out, that a lot of stuff has been declassified, yeah. even more stuff. So we're going back and we're picking up, like the ending of our game, which I can't tell you about, is actually a story that's only come out in the last few years. So much of World War II, at the end of the war, they wanted suppressed. Huh. We wanted the war over, man. Right? So, uh, and, and we found sites that are thousands and thousands of pictures of German soldiers. Like stuff they didn't have ten years ago because they didn't have the internet. So um, these are sites that where you know people are now uh, aggregating um, all the different you know stuff. So I, I think there's even more out. There's more books. Yeah, absolutely. More movies, more documentaries. Uh, I think it's funny that games you know they become like movies or other things like this big 
massive type of entertainment that so many people are being gravitate are gravitating towards. And what's great about these historical games are they're they're educational in a way for a lot of people and getting this information in a much different way than they used to, and also making it very visceral so you're experiencing it in a yes. much more real way. Right. Do you guys feel the weight of that? I know you had historians on your staff or yeah. consultants. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think that's something that we take. You know, we really want to be obviously authentic and respectful about what we're doing. I think Marty Morgan, our historian, has been really great because I think early on he said something to me that really, really stuck out because. You know, and sometimes when you're doing this, it's an entertainment, you know, it's a game, but, you know, he was like, this is actually, for him, his work, his life's work is a historian on, focused on World War II. And so for him, you know, he gives tours in Normandy, and so he said, you know, after Saving Private Ryan, and even after some of the original Call of Duty games, he would get a spike in interest, and people wanting to come, but then it sort of, you know, tapers down, and so for him, he's very happy that there are, that that's in the popular conscience, right, that that gets out there, and I think for us, so it's, so obviously we take it super seriously. We don't want to be gratuitous, but we want to also be authentic. And it's it's good because kind of you kind of said it earlier, right? It's it keeps it out there, and then hopefully right. there's someone playing it that then wants to go pick up a book yeah, and yeah, learn yeah. more about what's happening yeah. here. Right? I mean, every detail is. I'll give you an example. Right? We're, we're working with Marty, and I'll say, Marty, I need a I need a train that was somewhere in Marinay or somewhere in that region. In, uh, in 1945, let's say June through July, and um, I need I need important trains. Don't give me four different trains. And so, you know, I'll we'll pick out a train, and we'll pick out a car, we'll pick out you know we'll find out the Luftwaffe wasn't here at this point, so we wouldn't have the, the planes flying. Everything we try to do is is uh, um, as authentic as possible. It is it is uh, um, it is entertainment. But there's no doubt that at the end of it, we will know people to walk away and have a much greater knowledge of what we're doing. Right. And, and they wouldn't be lying from what they learned. And it seems like in order to do that, you're going to have to have a pretty great historian uh, that you're consulting with. What's the process of finding someone like that? Did you get a whole bunch of applications for people? or? Yeah, I mean, I know, I definitely know we worked through a bunch of them. I wasn't that involved in that process, uh, but I certainly... Marty was, know, a, yeah. was... We had... Uh, yeah. Marty's name get floated. Marty was the... Ex-curator kind of, yeah. of the uh, World War II Museum, so the National World War II Museum. Wow. So he's on a payroll now. And so we just call him and boom, get him. Right. Marty even took me and Condre and Michael out. We did a uh, eight-day, eight or nine-day tour from uh, from Luxembourg in a van in the middle of the winter, man. Some places oh, four man. foot of snow. We're up in places we didn't see a car for like two, three hours. We're falling in foxholes where it was crazy. It was really, and, and the thing is that we would find in the middle of the woods, you find a plaque where you find, you know, uh, it's it's really, really memorialized in some places, especially Belgium, right? Where they really are still. The war was the most biggest, most important thing that happened. There. Right, and it's funny to think, like you mentioned earlier, that we like to think that we're never going to forget about something like this, but. Making games like this, telling stories like yeah. that, telling stories yeah. like the story you just told, it keeps it alive and it keeps it yeah. alive for further generations. Yeah. So. And you know, we're keeping, um, we're not shying away from the racism that happened back then. We're not shying away from the sexism and things that, that you know, we're not blatantly put in it, but that's what happened. And then so we're not shying away from any of that. And because uh, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a tough time. Yeah, yeah. tough time. Oh, I hate to make this segue, but it's, it's for Hollywood. Uh, with uh, um, someone like Josh Duhamel in the yes. game, you have uh, an A-list movie star yeah. in this game. Is that something that is happening more and more in games, you guys feel? Was he a fan of the game? Did you reach out to him? How did that process go? Um, that's a good question, because Josh is Josh is a bit of an anomaly in that, uh, not anomaly, but he... Well, his, his uh, one of the casting agents, knows of him and knew he was such a big fan, such a big fan. And at the same point, we loved him as uh, as our guy. And so we put this ensemble cast together, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And they have grown together. And they act like a platoon. We take them out to dinner. They, he acts like the, 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 uh, the head of it. It's I love really it. <laughs> great. Um, to, to see them gel 
um, like that, you can see it on, on in the camera on the, on the game as well. It's just great. Do you have them in the mocap suits? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of mocap. A lot of uh, we. You know, most of it is performance capture now. We call right. mocap. Uh, and uh, but the the story alone took a couple of years. How involved are you in the story of? Oh, I'm not heavily involved. Okay. Yes. So writing something like a game where a lot of it is, I mean, some of it is streamlined. You're going through different set pieces and stuff, but it's also a game. I'm in control of parts of it. Is it hard to make? Uh, sorry. Different branching to to have that all in mind. The way a story might branch out in a yes. way that other mediums do not. Uh, how much of that is taken into account when you first start the project? Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that, that is kind of, that's at the core, I think, of what game development right. really kind of is. It's figuring out how to how to tell these great narratives, but also give a lot of choice and, and have players actually really leave that experience going, wow, that was yeah, either intense or exciting or, right. or scary or, yeah. yeah. I can remember we had it we, when, when we finally met with the executives down at, at Activision and, uh, you know, these discussions are going on and off and we all... All decided, yeah, World War II is it. You know, it's just all high five and everything. Everybody walks out of the room and go, that's cool, World War II. And it's my job and, and the team's job to go back and go, what part of World War II? <laughs> and so that's where it starts. You start with heavy-duty research. Right. And so one thing we knew was we want to tell a story of a, a platoon or a squad from start to finish. So we needed to find a, a good group that had, had worked together for a long time, and that was the fighting first. And, and then, so we started with that, and that's the story. Does that make it easier as a storyteller, or is it more difficult as a storyteller to work off something that has already, something that actually happened as opposed to telling a story in the future where you're working with a clean slate, or a cleaner slate, at least? Uh, they're both equally as hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then, but they're great creative challenges. One is is creating the future, right? What does it look like? And you got to study. And the other is recreating the past, which you got to study just as much, if not more, right? Because we can make up the sounds for the future. We can make up the set, you know, some of the yeah. stuff. But for the past, we don't make that. Right. I love that. I think that's what makes the game yeah, you good. Know, as good as it is. You feel it. <laughs> good, good man. Thank you. It's a very personal game yeah. for us. Uh, all of us have had grandparents or great-grandparents or somebody in, in the war, so I don't know. It feels like as we got more and more into it, you got more and more. I started seeing pictures of grandfathers on people's desks, that sort of thing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. I hung up my grandfather's picture. Yeah. Oh, was he, was he overseas? Yeah, matter of fact, um, he, would, he was, from, um, it was from the UK, and he came over in the 20s. And when they started bombing um, uh, London, he joined the American uh, military, Man, that's and so he went over and fought in Italy and lost his leg. Um, he got he got a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star for saving a couple of platoons. And so he would tell the stories to my dad, and my dad would tell me the stories. Um, but then um, my dad died in the middle of making the game, so we named the main character after him. Really? Yeah. Oh so, my God. Um, Ronald Red is my dad's name. That's fantastic. Yeah, so it's a nice way to honor him. I hate to cut in, but Glenn, you are needed. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. weird side-scrolling game that like completely it is so alien in controls that it actually takes a while and it's frustrating and then as soon as you get it it is so freaking badass it is this crazy metroid-esque side-scrolling game that you play with the bumper like the l1 l2 those types of controls and it takes a while and then as soon as you get it and it clicks it is just like this streamlined super awesome game and i love oh. it this looks like oh the creators of resogun did this wow okay you sparked my interest it's just like a contra type video game i that, don't know if you've yes. ever played resogun oh my it's god really i haven't but i have played contra 
Um, and that's exactly what it's like. And it's just, uh, the reason I bring it up is that these were like hidden gem games, you know, like these little tiny games that nobody... Oh, this looks fantastic. No, it was so great and super fun. Yeah, everyone listening, go check out Matterfall. This gameplay gameplay footage is really good. All right, so what, did you play any other indies? Um, yeah, Come I played a couple now. VR... What are withholding from us? <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all upstairs. Um... <laughs> I played a couple. The ones that stand out for me, other than the ones I just mentioned, were VR titles, and I know that you're not going to like that, but... Uh, I know, I know. I don't even like that I like it. But all okay, right, here we go. I played... Okay, there's this game. It's called Space Junkies. It's coming out next spring. It's from Ubisoft. And, I don't know, I, I don't like VR. I was going to come on here... I played it this morning. And up until then, I was going to come on here and just blast VR, because it hurts my neck, the stupid headsets do. This game... You get to move completely around. I'm in control. It's not a rail shooter. I'm not on a rail, so I get to move around however I want to. The care that they put into how you grab a gun, I can spin around in circles and grab it out of the air. You have to be holding onto the gun to shoot it. You have two-handed guns, and you have to aim with two hands. You have a shield, but then you can also use like your lightsaber sword at the same time. And we played two-on-two Battle Royale, floating around in space, bouncing off of asteroids, hitting each other. It was... Ah, I'm gonna have to give it to that. That was the most fun I've had at E3. Would you, but would you be able to play that game for a long, extended period of time, or is it just one of those things where you're just like, oh, played it, had a great time, never going back to that again? So I played one like that. I played a little dodgeball game that was basically just to show off, like this is how VR would work. And that one, I was like, that's fun. I'm done. I never need to do it again. Space Junkies. Okay. As soon as it was done, I did not want to take the headset off, and I want, I will buy it on launch day because it was. I think it's the most realized version of a VR game that I have seen so far in which, look, you can move in any direction you want. You really feel like you're floating in space. And I was sitting in a chair while I did it. And it was just amazing. It felt like when I was holding the gun, it felt like I was holding a gun. We were giving each other high fives and like thumbs up, pointing at each other. It was, it was awesome. It was really like being in, in that world, which is what VR is supposed to be. Would you would you buy a PlayStation VR headset after playing that game? Is this, it enough to sell it to me? Uh, no, for the reason that it's not on PlayStation, which was a conversation that we had. It is going to be for Oculus Vive and um, uh, whatever the other one is. Uh, it's it's skipping from my mind right now. But no, apparently they were having trouble with the PlayStation controllers because the PlayStation uses a wand for their VR, and okay. this is more the handheld controller. And that's really important for this type of shooter because they did it correctly and it really feels like guns. So it wouldn't work with the wand quite as well. But I would buy it. I, I honestly would. I never in a million years thought I would say that, but I do. I don't want to play Skyrim in a headset. That just does not sound appealing to me at all. I don't want to play Fallout 4 in a headset. I don't want something on my head while I'm playing video games. And I wear glasses anyway. Yeah. So I just don't I, – man, it's not appealing to me. We're I now, wouldn't be able to do it. We're now living in a timeline – where your video game system can bully you and smash your glasses against your head. Like, hey, hey, you're going to sit here and you're going to play me. All right, Eddie, I'm going to turn the tables on you. You weren't there, so you have a less... I honestly think this. I think you have a more pure opinion um, just from seeing the trailers. Because I get swayed. I'm playing these things on these massive 4K like TVs and being led around like I'm the queen of Pope Island uh, to, play these play, <laughs> to play these games. You uh, were not there, um, so you are going into it completely off of what was shown to you, what stood out for you at E3, other than Super Mario Odyssey, because I know that's where you're going to go. I want to call Insomniac Games and tell them that I love them, and I want them to raise my child, because if it wasn't for Spider-Man, I don't know what I would have done to see E3. Spider-Man was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gameplay trailer. It looked like Arkham, 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 I'm sorry, I don't, Arkham, I should know how to say this, Arkham Asylum meets, What kind of nerd are you? I know, I'm a horrible, horrible, horrible nerd, but Arkham Asylum meets, I can't, I don't even know, it was just, you know, you had your quick time events, mm-hmm. the trailer is one of the, one of my favorite Spider-Man moments I think I've seen in the last, like, five to ten years, and it just, everything, the way he was interacting with the environment, the way the bumping, I mean, the button prompts kind of annoyed me. I don't know how I feel about that, playing the game. Yeah, I, but you're a God I, of War I, fan, and those were a part of God of War. I'm not a God of War fan. I don't know why you misjudged me like that. I thought you had eyes and ears and hands and were a human <laughs> being. No, I, I think the God of War franchise is very, very overrated. I despise uh, you. Uh, well, I'm, I'm used to it. Namek versus Say. But <laughs> but the combat in Spider-Man looked very good. I'm very excited. I'm going to keep my eyes on that. I'll probably buy that launch day. 
Uh, Sony, you know, like I said, was lackluster. There was nothing very exciting. I will say that God of War, that trailer, it did it for me. Um, I liked how was it the beard the plot looked. Uh, it was the beard, and it was kind of like that little kid, his son. His son kind of sold it to me. I like child, oh, like my, children video games. My like, favorite thing maybe to come out of E3 was the Dad of War hashtag on Twitter. <laughs> it was great. He was like this mean, hardcore dad that just had no love for his kid. Yeah. It's just, I don't... I it just hit so close to home. <laughs> Not for me. My father loves me. I have a wonderful father. I don't know why. <laughs> Both of our fathers love us. I don't know what you're talking I meant about. The, I meant the beard. My dad is a beard. Your dad had an awesome beard. Hey, he's got a great beard. Yeah, but the world serpent, epic. Love also it. had a beard. Did it? Yeah, a little bit, like a little goatee. And he spoke uh, some weird language. I yes. I love that he wasn't a villain. I love that Kratos is ready to just rip its eyeballs out. And it's like, oh, what's up, guys? <laughs> that was my favorite part of the trailer, mm-hmm. is Kratos just getting back ready to just kill this thing, telling his son to brace himself. And yeah. this guy, this big master serpent's like, nah, I want to help y'all out. He's like, how to friends? We friends, we friends. I don't want to fight. Come along on a magic journey. Jesse Williams made a surprise appearance at the E3, which was kind of cool. Was that Jesse Williams in Detroit Beyond Human, or am I tripping? So it's definitely games. Jesse Williams. You can't hide those eyes. Yeah, they stare into my soul. Beautiful man, he is a beautiful, beautiful man. Yes, it's Jesse Williams. I found it. Yeah, Marcus well, is played by Jesse Williams. There we go. I'm excited for that game because got... I loved Heavy Rain and I want more stuff by Quantic Dream. So I am going to play, pick that up. Well, there you go. Um, but other than that, you know, Nintendo came. Everybody was excited about Nintendo. I was kind of like, meh. We're getting another Kirby Yoshi 2D platformer. I just, you know, if you're going to do something with Kirby and you're going to do something with Yoshi, do something innovative like Super Mario Odyssey or The Legend of Zelda. Like, you have a brand new system. I'm looking at Kirby and Yoshi. I'm like, you know what? These should have been Wii U launch titles. But right. now you're pumping them out on Nintendo Switch and wanting me to be excited about that in 2018? Come on now. And then they come out and say, oh, we have Metroid Prime 4 coming out, no gameplay footage, and people are going excited about that. Like, Okay, that, that, that was such an unbelievable reaction to that that I actually I wrote an article about it because of how bizarre it was. You are just inundated with gameplay trailers and all this stuff, and Nintendo just throws up a poster. Like a poster with not – the Samus isn't even on it. It just people, says Metroid Prime 4, and everyone loses their mind. I saw grown people jumping out of buildings. <laughs> people have been asking for this game for years it's similar to beyond what is that beyond evil what is that game beyond called? good that and evil game? yeah beyond good and evil right too. which it's also blew up the entire the world level. yeah because people are just like they ask for it ask for it ask for it and the e3 finally announces that it's going to come out and we we have no idea when it's going to come out it felt you know? like as a square enix fanboy it felt like how every year square enix shows up and they're like final fantasy 7's getting a remake and everyone's just like, oh my god, it's finally happening. And then three years yeah. later, they make the exact same announcement. Everyone's like, no, this time, this is it. Or like what Sony did to me last year. And they're like, oh yeah, Shenmue 3 is finally coming out. We're finally going to give you Shenmue fans what you've been asking for and clamoring for. the ending of the series. And then it just like disappears. Yeah. I haven't seen anything on this game. Metroid Prime 4, I, be- I believe that Nintendo's probably going to deliver on it. because Nintendo tends to Metro- deliver. When did Metroid Prime 3 come out? That was uh, back in 2007, 2007. 2008. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's yeah, been a it's been a good years. decade. So we're ready, and then you know Nintendo announces Rocket League, which should have probably been a debut title on Nintendo Switch. How much am I missing out on by not playing Rocket League? Because it kind of seems like the most fun thing in the world, but at the same time, it's also soccer, which is stupid. So Rocket League is one of the greatest innovative creations that America has seen in ever since ever. the it Bagel is the greatest Dog sport created it is better than basketball it is greater than football it is the best thing i I can't believe you haven't played rocket league it seems like something i would play it's also something i kind of want in real life like if a whole bunch of monster truck drivers were batting around a gigantic exercise ball rocket league was some of the most fun i think i've had in a video game in years and it it caused me an injury because I actually hurt my shoulder in the way that I was, like, <laughs> playing this game. I'm kidding you not. You should it, never repeat that. I I had shoulder issues for a good, like, three months after playing this game hardcore. I did, mean, Did you have the good whole, grace to lie about how you injured your shoulder? You no, I would tell people, people I was playing Rocket League. Oh, it was a sporting-related issue. You could have just lied and said it was soccer. No, it was Rocket League. Because as soon as you play Rocket League, you'll be like, oh, I get it. I, I get it. <laughs> 
it cl- it, cl- it will click like beep, you'll get it like your shoulder yeah. play rocket league before i punch you in your face <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> i'm glad you don't yeah, live in this city i'm oh i'm so upset with you right now namik versus saying you should need to go play rocket league we right are now. living up to the to the title today we are we are such a but, divisive episode yeah, so yeah, but that's how I feel. I feel like E3 let me down. I have some games that I'm going to be looking out for, but overall, it's, you know, I wish I, I wish I was there to get my hands on some of these games. Yeah, and I'm sorry to hear that, that it let you down, because I had a good experience. Most of it was just from being at the event itself and meeting some pretty great people. Um, well, I was the very first game that I played was Yakuza 6, and I played it because I walked by it and I had time to kill until an appointment that I had. So I was in line... For a game that I only knew about because you texted me to tell me to check it out. I did. And I'm in line next to this dude who, let's just call him a super fan of video games in general, but specifically Yakuza. And I just turn to him, innocently, and I go, hey, hey, is this game any good? (laughs) And he goes, for like the entirety of my wait, just running me through the Yakuza timeline and the different characters from other games and all the mini games I'm going to play and blah, blah, blah. I really felt that I knew the franchise by the time I got to the end of the line and started to play it. I wish I would have met this guy. Oh, my gosh. You're like the fine luckiest dude sir. Ever. And then he just walked off awesome. into the sunset. Did you get his name? Can we call him for an interview? Um, no, but I'm sure if we put Yakuza hashtag onto this, you'll find it. How was Yakuza? That is one of my favorite franchises. How was that game? Let me sum it up in one sentence. I smashed a guy in the face with a bicycle, and then I did squats. <laughs> yes. If that did doesn't you, tell you, you everything you need activities? to know. Oh, there were so many minigame activities. I feel like half the what game is minigames. Yeah, that is, that's what's the best about. I played recently Yakuza 5. Mm-hmm. I released this year. I maybe put like maybe 40, 45 hours into that game. Yeesh. I barely did any plot because I was mostly bowling and playing pool. It's sort that of... It's like the Grand Theft Auto San Andreas or the Grand Theft Auto 4 where you just go bowling with Nico instead of, you know, becoming a mob boss. Like, being a mob yeah. boss is great, but bowling with your cousin, like, that's a simulator that I want. I mean, they have a real estate engine in Yakuza 5 where you're literally buying real estate in Japan and making money off of it. it it's fantastic, so I'm glad you got to play Yakuza 6. I do it for you. I do it for love, and I do it for everybody out there, especially you, mysterious Yakuza 6 fan. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. A true American hero, or Japanese hero. Oh, man, I wish I would have met this guy, and I misspoke. It was Yakuza 0, not Yakuza 5, yes. so I apologize. I should get. I should know this franchise better as much many hours as I put into it. Yeah. Well, you're not a super fan, like the guy that I met, so I'm starting a podcast so, with him. So, Patrick, I'm yes. interested. I'm going to ask you another question, because I'm taking the role of the reporter tonight. Hit me! What you talked about that wonderful man what was the atmosphere like at e3 how were the people was it friendly where they could you sense the excitement around were people you know nudging against each other to get a shot at their games that they want how was it people it was were, in southern california right it was uh so take this with a grain of salt people were respectful um for la i was not shoved once which i expected to have happened a lot i had someone tell me uh, this is stereotyping again and it was true of one event that I went to, and then not for other ones, that smell might be an issue. And to be fair, that is not just true of a video game convention. That is true of humanity. If you're around enough people, it's going to smell. I didn't have any of that at all. I found it easy to get water and refreshments. I thought the people who I met in a professional capacity were incredibly nice to me. I don't know how much of that has to do with my outlet as opposed to me as a person. But I also had just random conversations with fans walking around. I would ask people, just genuinely, I went into it like an idiot. I basically probably looked like the dumbest person in the world. I looked like every German tourist at the Grand Canyon is what I looked like. I had socks and sandals. I had a big old flashbulb camera around my neck. And I just asked people, hey, what's this game? Tell me about this game. And they would. (laughs) And they would. Like, why would you? I wouldn't tell anybody about anything. You need to take me with you next time. You should. I need a, I need a Sherpa. Yeah. Yeah, you need to take me with you. I would have guided your way. Like, nah, you don't want anything with them. Get away. Stay away from them. Come over here. You know what my overwhelming feeling was when I was there? Was, oh, this is sad. Hello, darkness, my friend. Was that 
I was lonely because I was surrounded by these wonderful friendships. People came with their friends. That's what it was mostly like. It was groups of friends. You know, the gaming community brings people together like nothing I've seen before. It, it does. It does in a lot of ways. Yeah. You it pushes know people it. away in a lot of ways. But it, bring, it does bring people together in some certain capacities. I did see that. And it's also fun to see any people who are serious fans of anything because it, it warms the cockles of my heart. Is that a part of your heart? I guess. I don't know. I'm not a heart surgeon. No, that's true. You probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if you mm, no, were successful in any way at all. With my supermodel blonde wife. Well, it's radio. Nobody can disprove that. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> the top three things you liked about E3. Top three games, top three experiences. That's six. Let's just get it down to three. <laughs> okay. Um, for me, I'm going to do them um, in reverse order. So, I'll end with my my favorite part of E3. Oh, I like it. I like it. Okay. And I'm going to keep them game-related, not other things. Because I ate a pretty great sandwich while I was there. Mm, it, it was I like just good sandwiches. It was I such really a good sandwich. It was on a potato bun. It was top now. Way to go, Activision! You made sandwiches one heck of a sandwich. are the best food. It's, it's a self-contained food. Yeah. Number three for me. Ugh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to have to do it. Number three for me was uh, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. It has to be wow. number three. I know it, it sounds crazy even coming out of my mouth, but it was awesome. I loved it. Um, it's just the gameplay, the way it looked, how different it was from everything. How naturally you see Mario and you automatically hit A to jump, and that's not what <laughs> happens in this game. And just like how much that screwed my mind up was crazy. Um, number two, I'm gonna I'm gonna split it because I don't want to just give it to this because it, it's not a it's not enough of a game to warrant being number two on a list with so many other games on it. So I'm going to do a split between Space Junkies, which is a VR game from Ubisoft, which I thought was phenomenal and the most, the best representation of what VR can do uh, for me. But I'm also going to split with what I thought was my favorite shooter that I played at the event, and that is going to Destiny 2, which I thought was great. Whoa. I know it's kind of boring to do something like Destiny 2 as like, oh, what was your what was the best game? Like, oh, this massive game that everybody knows about. But Destiny 2 was awesome. It was great. It was super fast. It was like a new gameplay mode that you got to do. Um, the people that I played it with weren't good, so I got a couple kills. I was really excited. They gave me yeah, a t-shirt. Excited. All good oh, things. You got some swag. Mm, God, I got a lot of swag. I got so much stupid crap that I'm never going to use. Nice. Also, we should start doing this. Uh, let's do, Actually, let's do it. We'll do a giveaway this week. Um, the person whose comment I like the most on our podcast, I will send you a PS4 controller. What the hell? You didn't? You could have sent me the PS4 controller. Screw these people. Yeah, I don't like you, though. Oh. And honestly, nothing you say entertains me that Wow. Back to my list. Number one, drumroll, please. Oh, this is hard. You're not going to like this. My number one is Skull and Bones. It is a pirate. pirate it is a pirate game. It is a multiplayer pirate game in which you control your own ship, and it was the best game that I played. It was all the best parts of Assassin's Creed Black Flag without mm. all the terrible parts of Assassin's Creed Black Flag. It there was were no terrible parts in Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Well, then you will love this game. This was so much fun. It was the best. It was a four. It was a six on six a seven on six battle between you get to you captain your own boat and you get to board other people's boats and blow them up you have special abilities you have different boats to choose from you get chased by an armada you have to loot things it was it was so much fun and so completely different than other multiplayer experiences which are becoming more and more just like oh it's another round of capture the flag and a shooter uh they're getting more diverse but yeah you're right well this is leading that charge so yeah it, it, they are getting more diverse, but interesting list. Interesting. It is an odd list. I had an eclectic mix of things that I saw. And, I again, I didn't get to see everything. All right, Eddie, I'm going to flip it on you. Uh, what what were your three favorites from E3? If you don't want to do favorites, what are your three biggest reactions? Let's do it that way. They can be negative or positive. What made you feel the most from E3? What got you down in your plums? All right, we're going to go with number three. Uh, Shadow of Colossus got me excited as hell. Oh, I yeah. It's a remake of a remake. 
I know I'm I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna tell you this right all right now. I'm firmly against remakes. I'm firmly against remasters. Um, but but Shadow of Colossus is the game of all games. It is possibly the greatest game of all time, mm-hmm. next to The Witcher Three. Ooh. Yes, I love the Shadow of Colossus. So when I saw that, at first I got really excited. I thought it was. I think I texted you like, "Oh, Shadow of Colossus!" Oh. <laughs> I think growing up, you and I were the only people that ever played this game. I think you played it way before me. I think you played it on PS2. Yeah, my it dad bought it for me randomly because he, yeah. he thought it was something I would like. <laughs> I think that's the one moment where I like respected you. I was like, "Oh, this guy plays games." That's All it. Right, and Shadow of Colossus. And Fourteen years of friendship. <laughs> one moment stands out because my dad bought me a video game. Yep, that right there. Makes sense. Yes, that is number three for me. Got it. Um, number two, I, I'm just going to stay positive right now. Ooh, Spider-Man. Like okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to tied for two because I'm gonna, number one's going to be my disappointment. Okay. Um, Spider-Man and Super Mario Odyssey. I can't put Spider-Man on the same level as Super Mario Odyssey mm-hmm. because Super Mario Odyssey was just, oh, man, right. that game. Ooh, that game. <laughs> some shivers. I'm excited for it. Um and Spider-Man, you know, I was looking at it, and I was like, all right, that's a game that I'm going to pick up. That's a game I'm going to follow. Insomniac never disappoints. Um, so, yes, I, excitement, love, whatever you want to hear, whatever you – my heart was warm. I love all these positives, all this positive energy. I'm feeling good. Here comes for the negatives. Uh-oh. So, number one, uh, disappointment, I guess. I just felt a massive sense of disappointment. I got no Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. I got no Animal Crossing. I didn't get any word on a new Sucker Punch IP. I didn't see any Last of Us 2. I know a lot of people were happy about that. They're like, well, we don't need to see that. Well, I didn't see any Last of Us 2. I wanted to see no Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, which I kind of expected. No Shenmue 3. So, you know, there's a lot of games that I... No Death Stranding. So there's a lot of games that I wanted to see that I got nothing. We will, And these were all big games that were announced last year at E3. So right. I'm just kind of like, what are you guys doing to me right now? Man. So, yes, I was very disappointed. E3 does this every year. They announce these big games, and they don't deliver. Right. They don't deliver. So um, I saw some games that I'm excited about, but I'm walking away from it a little apprehensive. I, you know, I have games to play. I don't You know, I don't need E3 to make me excited. We had we, 2017, 2016 are the year for games. So we're in a golden age just like in television. Yeah, well, live it up. I just want to give a, a shout-out again to a lot of the people who have been listening. Uh, it's cool. This was... This was a neat one for me this past week because this was the first podcast that we did not also uh, have coverage on for The Hollywood Reporter. We still had a, uh, a decent showing, at least in the terms of our old podcasts. Um, so thank you for everyone who's listening or anyone who continues to listen. Uh, we are now on iTunes, which is exciting. Woo! Yes, so if you are on iTunes podcast, look up Namek for saying, please, please, please. Leave a review, whether you like it or not. Um, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, tell your friends, share it, blah, 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 all the same stuff that every person on the internet says. But truthfully, we like doing this, and, um, I mean, I'll do this if people don't listen to it. I don't care. I talk to anybody. Um, it's a, Yeah, it's a good stress relief, to be honest with you. Yeah. Just talking to your buddy about video games. What else yeah, is life I love about? It. I mean, other than making money and not dying. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, do you think we're going go to we're gonna go back to the new, uh, format next week? Gonna get back to the nitty gritty. Yes, we um, will be scouring the interwebs for the latest in video game news, and then we will give our own opinions on it and act like they're facts. Yes, and we will bring you our dated reviews. Uh, I'm hopefully, I'm gonna. We should knock out some reviews next week. Yeah, we I'm. I'm just left Rabinaster in Final Fantasy XII, which is the <laughs> first stage of that game. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patrick is gonna bring you a hot press next week. I am getting working my way through horizon nice and i really need to tell you i'm glad i'm playing that game during e3 because like i tell like i said in the previous podcast that was one of those games that i saw in e3 and when i got into my hands it's it felt like the first time i saw the gameplay trailer that game is still surprising me that is a wonderful close to my game of the year might be my game of the year next is zelda so yeah horizon i will be bringing a hopefully review next week actually for sure a review next week look forward to that and again i just want to reiterate the contest that i declared earlier and i'm sticking to if you leave a comment and i like the comment i'll give it to somebody but whatever i think the best comment is i will send you a free ps4 controller i won't send it to eddie i will send it to you i'm gonna create an account just so i can comment on it you know who's great pat and not eddie i'll be like yeah no that guy's making a lot of good points yeah 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 we love him we love him Uh, Oh,
Video Game. Thank you. Talking about video games.